Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Indeed it is. A very pleasant good morning to you. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Carnivore uh, Doc uh, down in Australia. We uh, started earlier this morning because we wanted to. And uh, now we're going to continue our conversation more about food, diet, and nutrition. We are live here. It is 10 o'clock Central Time. And... um, our telephone number, if you care to join us, 888-663-6386. Email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. And uh, uh, Mr. Lando, John Paul Lando, or Paul John Lando, I never do if I get that right. He'll be here in a couple of hours. So up at this moment in time is a, a lady that we've had on before. She's a very uh, in-depth researcher of... Uh, Um, nutrition in the field of health. Uh, Her expertise is in public uh, dietary guidelines, fat, uh, nutrition, obesity. Um, She has a BA, had one, still has it, I guess, MA from Cambridge University. It's a pretty fancy space. And then she was awarded a PhD in public health uh, nutrition in 2016. Here was her thesis, so you'll know what a geek she is. An examination of the randomized controlled trial and epidemiological evidence for the introduction of dietary fat recommendations in 1977 and 1983. A systematic review of meta-analysis. The full document is available to members here. So, uh, Ms. Uh, Harcum, uh, 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 obviously a PhD in thesis in that and Man, you must have had a lot of coffee. Did you drink a lot of coffee back then to do that? (laughs) (laughs) I ate a lot of dark chocolate, actually. That was my... uh that was my go-to sustenance while doing my PhD. I was I was beyond a hundred grams of eighty-five percent dark chocolate every day. No it was insane. Kidding. No. Yeah, kidding. I just burned through it. It was like brain fuel. It didn't affect my weight at all. Some days I was on two bars. Uh, and you, I was just you used that for juice, huh? You used it for yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Co- um, coffee makes me too jittery, yeah, but yeah. Um, the, the dark chocolate had just the right amount of caffeine. That's funny. Yeah. So just for, you know, just so we know, like how long from start to finish does it take to do a PhD dissertation thing or you, when you get the credentials like that? How long does it take? Yeah, it's, um, it's probably, if you do it full time, which I did, it's probably three to four years. And Whoa. that's what mine was. So I started September 2012, and then I defended my thesis, as they say, in March 2016. So um, you spend a lot of time in the first year. Nobody ever does the PhD that they think they're going to do. Um, So I actually went into the PhD thinking it was very much going to be centered around the seven country study, you know, the Ansel Keys Hmm. seven country study. I was just fascinated by that and this sort of major project. And I thought it would be more related to that. That ended up being quite an important part of the literature review, the background. Um, but it wasn't what I ended up doing. I, I, I almost don't know how it evolved. I just um, suddenly mm. realized that we had never examined whether the whole dietary fat guidelines actually had any evidence base. Um, and, and nobody had ever looked at it in the most thorough way, which is what systematic review and meta-analysis is. So I thought, okay, that one's there for the taking. I'll, um, I'll take a look at that. So uh, Keys was that work with sugar, right, Zoe? With sugar? Something? Yeah, he was having a row with the guy who was the sugar man. So the sugar man was Professor John Yudkin, uh. who was the Brit. And John Yudkin was saying sugar is the problem. 
and Dr. Ansel Keys was the American. So it was kind of Britain versus America. And in this one, Britain should have won um, because obviously sugar is the problem and not fat. But Ansel Keys was better funded, better known, um, more arrogant, more pushy, um, more full of himself. And he managed to get his argument as the one that took hold at the time. So we started to believe that fat was the problem rather than sugar. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Huh. And when was that, the, the Keys debate with this fellow? Or what year was that? Yeah, so that was going on throughout the 1950s, 1960s. Um, so Keyes came to prominence um, the first time, particularly in 1945, hmm. when he'd been working on something called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. Um, so that was actually a really good piece of re research. I mean, people, particularly in the keto low carb field they knock keys a lot and i don't like that because you know he did he did some good work so his first experiment the minnesota starvation experiment at, towards the the latter part of world war ii of course america wasn't in world war ii at this time but he was looking across at europe and saying hey those guys are into food rationing already and what happens when food rationing becomes starvation we don't know the impact that that has on the human body so he wanted to start studying it. So he took 36 conscientious objectors hmm. and put them in the University of Minnesota and said, I'm going to basically put you on a calorie controlled diet. So you're going to eat less and you're going to do more, which is what thousands, millions of people try every Monday morning. <laughs> and within weeks, he reduced these men to shadows of their former selves. Wow. Um, and a number of the men, and, and, and it wasn't even that arduous. I mean, it wasn't like, um, you know, 1,000 calorie Weight Watchers or something. I think the calorie allowance was almost 1,600, and the exercise requirement was around 45 minutes of just walking a day. It wasn't, you mm. know, aerobic exercise. Um, but within a few weeks, because they were contained on the campus, they couldn't cheat, which is what most people do when they start feeling really hungry. And so they had to go through with this, eat less and do more. And almost all of them got to the point where they said, you know what, we'd have been better off going to war than doing this because this is just as right. as horrific as, as it gets. They were hungry. They became obsessed with food. Um, they were on a university campus. They were the only men there. So they had the pick of all the women. They just lost all interest in socializing, in relationships. They were able to study anything they wanted at the university. They had no interest in studying whatsoever. Um, they couldn't function. They were just too damn hungry the whole time. <laughs> too damn hungry. That'll, so, that'll yeah. do it, right? That'll do it. Yeah. So after all these years in your PhD, uh, and I want to do uh, talk about fiber this morning because you've done quite a bit there too, but big picture, is it fair to say that fat is, I know this is a generalization, is good for us, animal fat? We die, yeah, we die without it. We um, die without you know, it. It's not we, just we die. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> yeah we die of the three macronutrients: fat, protein, and carbohydrate. There are two that we can't live without, and, and we have to consume them. Um, so they're known as essential nutrients, and that, of course, is fat and protein. There is no essential carbohydrate. So we have essential fats. We know them as omega three and omega six. We have essential proteins. Those are the eight. Sometimes there's a debate nine. Um, amino acids that we must consume in our diet because our body can't make them. There is no essential carbohydrate. The body can make any glucose that it requires for brain function. Um, and if you don't consume carbohydrate glucose, then your body will happily fuel on fat and ketones. Um, it, it's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't need carbohydrate. And there's real science. I mean, real studies, not just uh, people take surveys, but real 
placebo controlled double blind and all this to to substantiate what you just said well it's it's less a study it's more just a nutritional fact okay just a fact um, so really? if, if, yeah it's just a fact if you look at if you look at what we actually need to survive um, nutritionally, mm. and then, as I say, the word essential in nutrition means something that we must consume because there are some of the things that are essential to our health, but we don't have to consume them because the body will actually make them. So, for example, cholesterol is absolutely essential to our health. We die without cholesterol, but we don't have to eat it because the body can make it. Um, but the things that we absolutely must consume are essential fats, complete protein, vitamins and minerals. And the vitamins, there are 13, there are four fat-soluble vitamins, and then there are nine water-soluble vitamins, eight B vitamins, and the one vitamin C. And then there's debate over the minerals that are essential, but you know, certainly things like calcium, iron, zinc, phosphorus, copper, um, there's no debate that zinc, you know, there's no debate that those are utterly essential, sodium, phosphorus, they're all also essential, potassium, um, so we must consume those. So it's not a, did somebody do a trial to say we we must consume fat? It is just a nutritional basic fact that we die without essential fats. We won't die instantly. The first thing you'll get will be damage from not having the fat-soluble nutrients. So, for example, if you don't have vitamin A in the form that the body wants it, which is retinol, think retina of the eye, you're going to start getting eye damage. Um, you don't get vitamin E, you start having skin problems, organ healing problems, vitamin D. Uh, we're learning more about that nutrient every day and now believe that it's incredibly important in the avoidance of chronic disease as well as, as things like bone health, um, skeletal health, mind health and so on. Um, we, we need these nutrients. Um, it's as simple as that. So, you know, the idea that you could live on a diet without any fat um, it is just absurd. And then you, you look at nutritional facts, what is found in different foods. And I present on this at conferences, there's only one food, which is 100% carbohydrate, and that's sugar, table sugar that you'll uh -huh. find in the, in the coffee shop. Um, there is no complete 100% protein, although things like egg whites, chicken breast, skinless chicken breast, they do come pretty close to 100% protein. And then obviously for 100% fats, you've got oils, um, coconut oil or, or pure animal fats like um, lard or whatever. Tell, yeah. um, but everything else has, has protein in it and virtually every food also has fat in it. So if you, if you look at apples, for example, if you go on the United States Department of Agriculture database and you put in, you make the numbers easier, put in a kilogram of apples, um, you'll see the fat content in apples and every food that contains fat contains all three fats. So you'll see the saturated fat content in apples. People think, oh, you know, there won't be any fat in apples. There won't be any saturated fat in apples. There is. Um, there is in every food other than sucrose at some kind of trace level. And then obviously as you move into things like um, dairy, yogurt, milk, um, cheese, um, fatty meats, olive oil, coconut oil and, and the rest of it, obviously the, the fat content goes up. Um, so it is virtually impossible. I mean, if, if you try to eat a diet with zero fat, I think you're pretty much living on sucrose and nothing else. And John Yudkin in one of his books said, if you tried that, you'd probably be dead in about three weeks hmm. if you consume well, How about people that do this vegan thing or vegetarian thing with no fat? How do they manage? I mean, there's lots of them they out eat there. Fat. They, oh, they eat yeah. They, they they eat fat. They 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 are not not eating fat. Oh, they're eating they, fat they, in, in the vegetables. Yeah. What you're saying, like yeah. and the fruits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
and, mm. and fat in legumes and fat in grains and fat in porridge and fat in oat milk and fat in almond milk and fats in nuts and fats in seeds. Gotcha. Um, yeah. The only food that I found that contains not even a trace of fat or protein is sucrose. So anything else is, is going to contain fat and protein, hmm. just a nutritional fact. Do we know how long this whole white sugar thing has been around and where did, how did it start? Well, in the UK, I don't know the exact date, but somewhere around the 1800s, they taxed sugar. Huh. Um, so sugar was, was deemed a non-essential luxury item, as was probably tobacco, alcohol, other things like that at the time. So they taxed it. Hmm. Um, and then that was one of the taxes that was repealed. It's about the only tax that's ever been repealed in the UK. Almost everything else they put a tax on and then it stays. Um, so that one they, they did eventually repeal. Um, but there's an argument that that's the one they should have kept and they should have repealed all the others. Because <laughs> sugar is the baddie, not, you know, don't tax income, let people earn an income, but, you know, tax sugar because it's just not essential. So sugar is the baddie. So mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about just big picture what happens when we consume sugar in the form of CNH pure cane sugar from Hawaii or maybe honey or maybe brown rice. Okay, so um, we, we should now go to the, the basics of carbohydrates. Okay. So if, if we break down what carbohydrate is, so carbohydrate is essentially sugar. It's just different sugars in different forms. So we have what we call monosaccharides and the word mono means one and the word saccharide means sugar. So straight away you realize that as soon as you're talking about carbohydrates, you're talking about sugar. So a monosaccharide, a single sugar, would be things like glucose, fructose, and galactose. Those are the three single sugars. You then have some of those that combine to form what we call disaccharides, which is mm -hmm. two sugars. So sucrose, the sugar that you put in your coffee, is actually one molecule of fructose and one molecule of glucose. Okay. Now, other... Um, if you then come on to brown rice, brown rice will have some fructose in it, but it will be mainly glucose. Bananas will be mainly glucose, but they'll have some fructose. Apples will be higher in fructose and they've got the rest is glucose. So different carbohydrates are then made up of different units at the single simple sugar level. So brown rice is mostly glucose. Sucrose is an is a equal combination of glucose and fructose. And people have said to me, or which one is better and which one is worse. It's like, well, do you want type 2 diabetes or do you want non-alcoholic fatty liver disease? <laughs> because glucose goes into the bloodstream, where if you don't end up dealing with it properly, you'll end up with type 2 diabetes, and fructose goes to the liver, where you'll end up with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So which one do you want? Um, and that question should enable people to realise that neither of those is actually good for you. Mm. And they're not um, in, in any kind of excess. You know, in our bloodstream at any one time, we should only have four grams of glucose. Four which grams. Is, yeah. What is that? Yeah, like, what if you do... a teaspoon. A, oh, that would be a teaspoon of uh, pure cane sugar from Hawaii, the white stuff? Uh, yeah, but again, because the sugar is fructose and glucose, mm -hmm. what's going to be in your bloodstream is glucose. So... If you could get the powdered glucose, um, which ends up in um, those sports tablets like Dextrose, um, some of the glucose tablets that sports people consume for immediate energy. Um, if you could take the pure form of glucose and put that onto a teaspoon, four grams of that 
would be what we have in our entire bloodstream. In our entire bloodstream. Blood. So yeah. what is the extra sugar in whatever form doing in the body when there's extra? Is it harming the body in some ways? Yeah. And what's it yeah, doing? It's causing harm. Really? Yeah. So the body doesn't want, so we keep our blood glucose level within this really narrow band around mm. four grams of glucose. Let's say we eat an apple and yeah. it might be, um, let's say it's even fructose and glucose. So in a 20 gram of carbohydrate, let's say it's about 10 grams of glucose, 10 grams of fructose. The fructose okay. is going straight to the liver where over time it is going to cause non-alcoholic because it didn't come from an alcoholic source non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and the 10 grams of glucose let's say go straight into the bloodstream well the bloodstream was probably at four grams it was probably at the right level so the minute you put 10 grams in and you only ate an apple you thought you were doing something healthy you've put in two and a half times the glucose that the body wants in the bloodstream so the body calls on the pancreas to say insulin one of the hormones in the pancreas, go and take that glucose out of the bloodstream because if you don't, you're going to start damaging the arteries and um, right. it's causing sticky blood and clotting and all kinds of things. So go and take that glucose out of the bloodstream. Insulin does that. Insulin goes to the glucose and basically takes it out of the bloodstream and stores it as glycogen. Glycogen. Which is a glycogen, what, which is another store form where of it carbohydrate. Store in the liver? In the liver? In the liver and the muscles. Mm. So there's two places where we store glycogen. We store about, I think it's about 350 grams in the muscles and probably about 100 grams in the liver. Um, so the, the body will store it out of the way. But of course, we don't just have one apple. We have cereal and bread for breakfast and orange juice sure. and maybe some fruit. You know, we can have 150, 200 grams of carbohydrate for breakfast. The body's got to take it out and store it. Then we have an apple mid-morning. It takes it out and store it. Then we have a sandwich or a bagel or something for lunch. Body takes it out and stores it. You have a cookie late afternoon. Off it goes again. You have some pasta or pizza or risotto or something in the evening. Takes it out again. So the body is just continually taking the glucose out of the bloodstream, putting it into the glycogen storage room. When the glycogen storage room is full, the body turns it to fat. Oh, it turns so it to fat. How, that's obesity, which is yeah, obesity, yeah. right? Mm, mm, yeah, mm. yeah. Wow. So that's that's how we get that's how we get fat. Just so turns it to fat because it needs to do something with it. Yeah, because it, it we only have the capacity to store about four hundred, maybe four fifty um, grams of of glycogen. So once the storeroom is full, it stores it as fat. And the other interesting thing mm. is, is if it doesn't get used up in twenty four hours, it stores it as fat as well. So it sees you've got a very short-term need for this stored glucose because we just never used to consume glucose in the quantity that we do today. So in olden days, we'd have found a few apples on the tree when we were out hunting for wild animals, which is what we really wanted because that's where the nutrients are. We'd find some berries or, or some nuts or some vegetation. Absolutely, you'd eat it because you can't carry it home and you want you want the, um, the you, you want the food. You, you'll eat any food you can. So the body would store that as glycogen, um, but most likely within the next 24 hours, you wouldn't get any more carbohydrate. And so the body would reverse out that glycogen store and make it available for energy. And then when the storeroom is back to empty, empty, that's when the body will go back to fueling on body fat, ketones, other sources of fuel. Interesting. Zoe Harkham is with us. If you care to join us, we don't have her for a very long time today. Uh, it's uh, Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com or 888 663 
Just uh, until I got to get the fiber here, but this is fun. Uh, from Leslie, I've been a vegetarian for three or four years. I feel fine, but I'm hearing more and more issues that could come my way if I don't get more fat and animal foods in my diet. Can I survive and thrive on a vegetarian diet, in your opinion? Thanks for the show. Okay. Yes. Um, I was vegetarian for 20 years. So you didn't um, die. Veg- no, you didn't die. <laughs> I didn't die, no. What you don't want to do is is to sort of go for the vegetarian ready meals in supermarkets. You still want to eat real food. And your most nutritious foods are, g- are going to be your animal foods. So that's dairy and eggs. Um, and as a vegetarian, so long as you eat your dairy and eggs really often and really carefully, you can do fine. Ah. Um the problem is with vegans who don't eat any animal foods. If you don't eat any animal foods, there are a number of nutrients that are only found in animal foods. So things like retinol, vitamin A, vitamin B12, D3, K2 you can get from fermented food, but it's just easier from animal food, heme iron, um, zinc in the right form, the most absorbable form, that you have more problems. Mm, um, mm. But if, if you're prepared to eat full fat dairy, don't mess around with the uh, um, the low fat stuff. You want the fat soluble nu- nutrients in the dairy. So if you eat quality natural yogurt, ideally with lactobacillus, so that you can get the gut flora, um, eat eggs, especially the yolks, um, good quality cheese, and then choose your plant foods carefully. So things like um, legumes, lentils, beans, pulses, uh, they can be quite nutritious. They're never going to be as nutritious as oily fish and, and liver, offal, red meat, that kind of thing. They, they won't win that competition, but they bring some valuable things to the table, particularly minerals. They can be quite good for things like iron, copper, um, zinc, even lentils, quite good. So as so long as you're then mixing your eggs and your dairy with more legumes than grains, um, you'll, you'll be doing okay. And more vegetables than fruits, because fruit is essentially just sugar with a few nutrients so yeah lean towards more vegetables and get some dairy and eggs in there and you'll you'll be okay so the the challenge is if folks want to do the vegan thing and then you're going to miss out unless you i don't know do something yeah, you, you miss out. Mm. Um, you've got to take some supplements, but there are some supplements that vegans don't want to take because I don't know how, for example, you get retinol, the animal form of vitamin A, without actually consuming a supplement that's delivering retinol. Mm-hmm. Um, vitamin, vitamin A is, is the one that floored me eventually. Um, there are a number of people who are not good at converting carotene, which is the plant form of vitamin A, into retinol, which is the animal form of vitamin A. And I just happened to be one of those and I didn't realize. So I ended up with eye trouble that was entirely avoidable. So um, I I just wasn't getting the nutrients that I needed. So you you kept going until something didn't work and then you changed. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah, yeah. and I I should have spotted it sooner, but I I wasn't studying nutrition at the time. I I was an HR director. So I I was working for... Um, big companies around the world. I was traveling around the world. I was looking after the human resource in big organizations. So I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, as long as I was fit and I could, yeah, I I wasn't looking at it. Um, And it wasn't until I started attending conferences and researching nutrition that I realized um, I needed to start eating meat, particularly red meat and fish, particularly oily fish. And I just feel a lot better for it. Cool. Okay. So we stay right there. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. And we're going to dig into the whole fiber thing, which I found interesting. I read a, I get her emails. I'm on her list and she does these really cool things. And 
we'll tell you how you can do that. Uh, here's a, a wonderful technology that if you are concerned and you really want to button up the uh, or tie your camel here on uh, electromagnetic fields, listen to this. Previously, we were talking with Brandon about the Blue Shield EMF device, and he says it goes out 90 yards in all directions. It's an omnidirectional field that, if you think about a huge sphere that's expanding, that's that's essentially what the waveform pattern looks like. Oh, that's cool. So it's putting frequencies into the body, and then how does that work in relation to electromagnetic field that's coming in in the walls and the windows through a cell phone tower down the street? Yeah, so the cell repeaters and Wi-Fi and all this electromagnetic radiation in, in, the, um, in the environment, people mistakenly think that this is somehow going to act like a shield and block the radiation and make it not appear on any kind of tri-field meter or any measuring device. And that's simply not the case. It's more of a, an energy medicine, so to speak, where it's it's stimulating the bodies at the cellular level to create a cellular response to make all the individual cells much stronger and more able to adapt to the EMF stressors. So that's number one on the physical or the somatic level where the body's experiencing a decrease in stress from electromagnetic fields. If you're interested, you can click on the Blue Shield ad on the front page of One Radio Network. Use promo code One Radio, or also contact Brandon through his website there when you click, and he'll give you more information. Front page Blue Shield EMF protection device on OneRadioNetwork.com. Really cool. They have a pocket little guy that I have here too. I can probably show you if I can find it. Show you a quick picture of it here, and this is great. And uh, you just uh, jazz it up with your USB on your computer, and then you you turn it on here. You can see a little red light, and you can put this in your purse or pocket. Goes out about ten feet, so you drive in around the city. You got all these Wi-Fi, you know, who knows, five G, twelve G, and cell phone towers, and it offers protection. It helps the body to deal with these things in a better way. This is a technology out of Australia. Uh, 25 years in the making, and they've got studies, real studies with animals, so there's no placebo. The cows and the chickens don't know that um, they got the thing on, and uh, they have better mortality rates. They lay more eggs and put more milk out uh, when they expose them to EMFs, and so it works. Um, Check it out. Uh, We just do what we can here. You know, we don't get crazy about these things because I think we're very strong spiritually, and we're, we're protected from a lot of this stuff, but you know, like we say, we trust God and we uh, we tie up our camel here. Here's a good way to get rid of yuckies in your body. Here's physicist, biologist, chemist, Dr. Gerald Pollack on far infrared saunas. Infrared uh, energy is what builds this fourth phase of water. And the idea of a sauna, you know, you go in and you sweat and you, you receive this infrared energy and you feel great after you, uh, after you come out. I felt uh, the same, and so have so many people. And most of us think, well, you know, it's just um, some sort of psychological issue, and it, it 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 might be. However, experimentally, we know that infrared energy builds the fourth phase. Your cells should be are, or should be filled with this fourth phase. But uh, but you know, we we tend to be somewhat dehydrated uh, and missing some of this this fourth phase and so what happens is if you subject yourself to infrared the infrared is absorbed by your body absorbed by your cells and it converts ordinary water to fourth phase water and then you feel better how cool is that i think it's pretty cool actually i'm in my little guy every night before bed and has been have been for years now oh, 
just because I do it doesn't mean you should, but I'm feeling pretty good. And I believe that they help me a lot. I like to do that and jump into a cold shower. And boy, that gets you going. And the first thing in the morning, I do a cold shower as well. But these saunas are great. They have no radio frequencies, uh, EMFs in that regard. There's some magnetic energy with a tri-field meter, but the same energy you get in driving in your car, standing next to your fridge or your juicer, anything with a motor has some magnetic energy. So um, we've had people that put a meter on there and they get kind of freaked out because it's high between the floor and the bottom of the chair. But this stuff is not, it hasn't affected me and I've been doing it for, well, 15 years or so. So um, it's cool. Uh, the only way to get the best price ever is to email me, Patrick, at OneRadioNetwork.com. Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. It's twelve ninety five delivered in the lower 48. We shipped them all over the world. We shipped one to um, um, Ireland the other day. It was a little tricky because Queen Mum over there, she's, well, now King Charlie, I don't know what he's up to. But anyway, uh, but, you know, they got a lot of things going on there, bringing them in, but we, we made it happen. And uh, But most places, they slide right through. Canada, it's about 200 more, like so it'd be 1495 because of the shipping, which has gone up uh, ever since this whole, whatever this germ thing is, is or isn't. So just email me, tell me where you live, and I'll give you the best delivered discounted price on the Relax Far Infrared Sauna on OneRadioNetwork.com. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Zoe Harkum, it is ZoeHarkum.com, and she's a nutritionist researcher extraordinaire, been at it for a very long time. Uh, Zoe, uh, thanks for being on the show. Um, Ever since I've been delving into this whole carnivore thing, which is now five months, you know, I've, I've, I've really felt a lot of difference in my body when I don't do all this fiber, all these carbs, all these vegetables, all this stuff with fiber. And the main thing is you don't have to poop four times a day, you know, because you just don't, you don't have to. So what's up with that? Now you, there's some real science behind, real science, authentic, that shows that fiber is just not the best for us. Is that true? Well, it's just not necessary. It's not necessary. So not ne- it's just not necessary. So you, you go back to the essential nutrients. Uh-huh. There, as we said, there's essential fats, there's essential proteins, there are no essential carbohydrates. And fiber is a carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. So we looked at the single sugars, the monosaccharides. We then looked at one of the disaccharides, the two sugars, and that was table sugar. Then you move on to what we call the many sugars. So the many sugars are poly, many, saccharides, sugar, mm-hmm. many saccharides. So fiber is a many sugar. Okay. So the, the many sugars come in two forms. They come in a digestible form, and that's glycogen in an animal and starch in a plant. And then they come in an indigestible form. And indigestible carbohydrate is what fiber is. So fiber is indigestible carbohydrate fiber then comes in two forms so it comes in the form of what we would call soluble fiber and that's something that would swell or dissolve in water so if you think of your porridge oats if you put water on them or you put milk on them they will dissolve and swell so that's what we call soluble fiber and then insoluble fiber 
is fibre that doesn't dissolve or swell in water. So if you put your carrots into a boiling pan of water, they don't dissolve. Um, you know, they, they might sort of swell a little bit, but they're not like your porridge oats. So we call those insoluble fiber. But just the single most important thing to remember about fiber is that it is indigestible carbohydrate. And you don't need carbohydrate. And do you really want to be eating stuff that's indigestible? And, and that's my starting point because people experience discomfort. The, the hmm. amount of um, gastric illness that we've got across the developed world from Australia, New Zealand, Canada, US, UK, Europe, the countries that are eating this extraordinary intake of fiber, which is just completely alien to the human body, and we cannot digest it. It just, the body just has to get rid of it. So no wonder you poop less because you're not putting in the stuff that the body can't digest. Right, right. You're not, you're not, I mean, poo is waste. Mm -hmm. who is very inefficient mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in in the um, Neanderthal man era throughout evolution. Um, poo was very, very dangerous because you don't want to be leaving your trail for the animals to let them know where oh. there's some, some of their food. Right, right, right. Um, and, it, and it's just inconvenient. I mean, if you're um, hibernating for the winter because it's got very dark and it's got very cold and you've done your gathering in the autumn, you're actually just better off staying in the cave, staying in your shelter as much as you can over the winter. You don't want to keep leaving that shelter to go and do a poo um, and then come back in. And you're not going to be very popular with the rest of your your um, cave mates if you're doing it in the cave either. So that, that needs to not be happening. Um, so it's waste. It's inefficient. It's just not what the body wants to deal with. So you start with fibre from the point of you don't need it. It's not essential. It is a waste item. It's it's inefficiency. You can't digest it. So that's not going to be great for the body. So then you have to sort of say, well, what's going on with the other side? Why are they telling us to have 30 grams of fiber every day, which they do? Follow the money. Um, this has come about since um, Belinda Fetke was one of the people that did the, the great research into this. This goes back to the times of Sylvester Graham, think Graham's crackers, John uh -huh. Harvey Kellogg, think Kellogg's cornflakes. Uh -huh. So cereal manufacturers back in the 1800s um, were basically looking to develop these fake foods that they could make a lot of money out of. Um, they were very anti-animal foods. They were vegetarian, so they wanted people eating these new plant-based foods rather than the animals that were giving them all the nutrients. Um, so they, they started making up these crazy ideas that if you eat animal foods, it's, you know, dereliction, it's a sin, it's a sign of a, um, a terrible um, personality and a, a terrible sort of ideology and values. You know, people who do that are evil and people who eat these indigestible carbohydrates are somehow marvellous. But they, of course, managed to make <laughs> them taste quite good because they, yeah, you know. they add a lot of sugar to... You know, most cereal is at least 20% sugar, so it tastes so very sweet. this is what started the whole cereal thing yeah. that we all of us probably grew up on with Cheerios yeah. and grape nuts. Yeah. And wow. Back. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, and it's a two-pronged attack. So at the same time as telling you, you need to be having this cereal, it's good for you, you need the fiber, trying to give it attributes, um, makeup attributes to make it like a good product when it really isn't a good product. So on the one hand, they're doing that. And then on the other hand, of course, they start demonizing the things that you would be having for breakfast. So eggs are really bad for you. They contain cholesterol, they contain animal fat, they contain saturated fat, da 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 da, da. 
what else else you might have for breakfast ham you might have with your eggs or bacon you might have your eggs that's really bad for you You mustn't eat meat so it was always this two-pronged attack of fiber and carbohydrate is good and fat and animal foods are bad and it's completely the other way around that's what's been going on so so then there doesn't seem to be any real motivation to eat rice or vegetables if most of them most of the stuff's got to come out it's indigestible exactly i mean exactly what's the point exactly this now ties in quite nicely with my phd topic Ah. because the dietary guidelines that came in in 1977 in the us and then 1983 in the uk were basically to limit our intake of fat overall yeah and I don't know if I've, I've sort of run through this in my previous Go, session, but yeah, people should hear it again. They anyway. should hear it, yeah. So you, you think of a sort of a, a circular pie of things that we eat, and there are only three things that we eat, and they are carbohydrate, protein, and fat. Protein tends to be fairly constant in the diet, whether a vegetarian diet or a meat-eating diet tends to be about 15 to 20%, and globally it's much nearer 15 So you look at the remaining 85% and you say that's got to come from carbohydrate and fat. Those are the only two things that are left. So the minute you say there should be no more than 30% of your diet taken up in the form of fat, you've immediately made it so that 55% of your diet is going to be in the form of carbohydrate. Mm, Yes. Just by default. That's That's the only thing left. So you're telling people to have 55% carbohydrate. Now, if you're telling them to have that carbohydrate, I do agree that if you're going to eat all of that carbohydrate, you're probably, um, for nutrients, you're probably better off having brown rice than white rice, wholemeal pasta than white pasta, vegetables rather than vegetable juice. Sure. And those things tend to be more fibrous. But that is undermining the actual reality of nutrition, which is you'd be better off not having that carbohydrate and having the meat, fish, eggs and dairy instead, because that's where the nutrients are. Now, where people who are hell-bent on eating carbohydrate, they think the government guidelines are correct and they want to have 55% of their diet in the form of carbohydrate, where they'd be very ill-advised to choose the fibrous forms of carbohydrate is where they have gastric problems. So you'll quite often find that somebody who ends up at a gastroenterologist saying, you know, I've got irritable bowel syndrome, I just have constant pain and bloating, and I alternate between diarrhea and constipation. You know, some people are living with horrific stomach problems. It's huge. Gastric problems. Hourly basic. Absolutely. So a good gastroenterologist will then take that person off fibre and just say, cut fibre out of your diet. But because they believe the government guidelines, they don't say cut out carbohydrate, which is what they should say to them, in my view, they say cut out the fibrous form of carbohydrate. So they will actually move them off brown rice onto white rice, brown bread to white bread, brown pasta to white pasta. They move them onto the lower fiber, but still say eat carbohydrate. The carbohydrate is still going to be swamping your blood glucose levels, as we discussed earlier. This is all actually tying up quite nicely, isn't it? Looking at the, Mm -hmm. the fat and the glucose and the fiber. And... And you're left with lower on the fiber. You're still eating way too much carbohydrate. So there's this brilliant study over in Asia, and I think it involved about 67, 70 people. And they um, selected people who had severe gastric distress. So all the things we've mentioned, diarrhea, constipation, distended stomach, bloating, um, severe discomfort, pain, da 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 And they took them off all fiber. 
everything and they everything all fibers so they're basically on a, a on a plant-free diet um or maybe you know a little bit of white rice or something but oh, took uh, them off uh, fiber. Uh, no no carbs in it so they're eating animal foods must... yeah yeah oh. pretty much animal foods i mean mm. you can you, you would avoid fruit and you'd avoid vegetables because those have got fiber in them right. You might have had, I forget the exact diet, they might have had some white rice because that's really low in fiber, Is maybe it? some white bread. Mm. But they, they took them off fiber, essentially, and all of their ailments cleared up. And then they got to the end of the study and they said, you're now free to do whatever you want. We've done the study. We've got your feedback. Um, and I think it was something like 90% of the participants stayed off fiber. They just said uh, it's just not worth going back. I mean, the ones who went back were obviously all their stomach addicts. things went away, and you believe this yeah, was a real study? Away. You believe it was a real study? Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. Intervention trial, real study. Here's the intervention. Um, didn't have a control group because it kind of didn't need a control group. They were their own control group. Right. They'd had the really bad problems. Yeah, the problems. They all did the intervention. The problems went away. What they could have done was to say, right, you've now got to go back onto fiber. But they didn't. They gave them the choice. And the participants, almost all of them said, I don't want to go back on fiber because I don't want that pain again. I don't want that bloating. I don't want that discomfort. Well, if this, if these like rice and, and whatever potatoes and vegetables, if it comes out, why is it a problem to be in there? Because it because it's indigestible. It's indigestible. It, it, it's got to go. It's, it's got to go right through our digestive tract. So you think from yeah. the point we put something in our mouth, you've got salivary enzymes in our saliva that start trying to digest carbohydrates. Then you've got things that go all the way down the esophagus into the stomach. The stomach then starts trying to break down the protein. Then you've got things that go out into the intestines, and that's where we start trying to take fat out of food and then send it off around the body and chylomicrons and that kind of thing. And then you've got the lower intestine and the you know long intestine. I think I read somewhere that if you actually laid out the intestine end to end, it would cover a tennis court. I know I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah, I've in, seen that. I've seen it's that. It's insane, isn't it? It's like, and, and it's got to go all the way down there. And it's going all the way down there. And the body doesn't want to be digesting it. The body doesn't know how to digest it. It is indigestible. So you're going to get discomfort somewhere along the line. You're either going to get sort of acid reflux here and you start having that sort of regurgitation. Um, if it's happening really quite high up the digestive tract, you might get the stomach pains. If it's happening more here, you might get that real lower bowel discomfort and then the diarrhea and constipation if it's going further down into the colon um you, you, you're going to get discomfort i mean you, you just really are you just um, are it, it's um wow man um so <laughs> it's like it's it's just like a head exploder when you really look at this carefully as, as these people and you and others that have um that to get to the point where you just don't need broccoli. I mean, you can eat it if you want, but... Eat it if you want, and eat it if you're okay with it. If, you're, um, if you do okay with yeah, it, if you don't bloat and whatever, gas. Yeah, yeah. there's a whole other um, part of nutrition that I'm not very familiar with, although I have met people who are, and that's this concept of FODMAPs. Sure. And it stands for something like fructo, oligo, da 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 It's basically about... Um, uh, you talk about a FODMAP diet, which will be a diet that excludes certain foods, and they're foods that are known to cause more digestive and bloating problems than, say, the average food. So people following a FODMAPs diet almost always 
um, don't have onions, don't have garlic. Mm. Um, they often have a problem with tomatoes. They probably wouldn't have broccoli. They often have a problem with cauliflower. Um, so they've noticed that there are particular vegetables, particularly, but also some fruits and also some grains and, and other plant foods that are, are problems for them. Mm -hmm. um, so they will cut those out. I mean, you know, most sensible people, if you had a curry and it had cauliflower in it and you had real discomfort and then you had a chili and it had cauliflower in it, you know, most sensible people would start to see cauliflower. Every time I have cauliflower, I feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, it doesn't so, work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and raw is even worse. So the one that we do need to address, because this is another argument that people use for having fiber, and that is that they say it's good to feed your gut flora. Right. So even right. if you can get them to accept, the body can't digest it. They say, well, in, when it's on the way down, your gut flora are feeding off it kind of thing. Um, and there may be something in that and there may not be. I, I don't go that route. I prefer to go the route of how do you get good gut flora? Because in the view of how do you get good gut flora, fiber really is the last pathway to get good gut flora. So it still doesn't, uh, it doesn't work in, in this argument for me either. So I know there's some things you can't organize, but if you want great gut flora, you want healthy parents. Um, you can't <laughs> choose that, but the healthier your parents are, you want to be born naturally. You want to be coming out of mum properly, not being right. cut out of the tummy. And I appreciate that isn't always possible. Yeah. Um, but there are a number of times when it is possible and it's still not dumb. It's kind of like, oh, I want a baby on Halloween. It's, you know, more convenient, whatever. Really trying to give birth vaginally. Breastfeeding is in, then incredibly important because you're giving your gut flora. And while you're breastfeeding, of course, you should be having a quality whole food diet, high in animal produce, high in nutrient dense foods. Don't then be giving your child antibiotics unless their life depends on it. Don't you be taking antibiotics unless your life depends on it during the breastfeeding. And then as you get older, also don't be taking those antibiotics once you've grown up, once you're no longer the child and your health is in your hands. Again, it should be a case of are you actually dying from something and then you need them because antibiotics, of course, are destroying the gut flora in the body. So if you have to take antibiotics, then take probiotics alongside then you're at least countering the destruction of the antibiotics and then as a grown-up you should also be eating a great diet full of whole foods a variety of spices and nutrients and whatever else you can get in your diet um, and then do other healthy things so your, your final thing is from a food perspective the things that will most feed your gut flora are in dairy products. Dairy. So they're mm. things like, yeah, natural live yogurt, where you've got your lactobacillus and the other um, cultures. If you go into the supermarket, you can look on a natural yogurt. Sometimes it will say live yogurt. Sometimes it will say with active cultures or active gut floras, or it will name some of them like acidophilus or lactobacillus. So look for those on the product. Um, raw milk, I know that's a little bit controversial, yeah. but that's gonna give you great gut flora as well. Blue cheeses, um, perhaps looking more at raw cheeses than manufactured cheeses. Um, there are many ways that you can feed your gut flora that have nothing to do with fiber whatsoever. Would this and be a kind of a protocol if you had a client that uh, had did the cesarean section thing and didn't get the, uh, the good stuff coming out of the vagina to add more of this, the foods you just mentioned, the dairy and the yeah, cheese and yeah. all that? Yeah. Yeah. 
It would, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, if mum could supplement her diet, particularly when she was breastfeeding, with really good quality dairy, plenty of natural live yogurt, some quality milk, um, cheeses and so on, then that's going through her body. I mean, it's it's obviously good when she's pregnant as well. That's why you want healthy parents and you want healthy mum particularly. Yeah. Because while mum is, is cooking the baby, you want mum to be having all of those great foods at the same time. Mm. But the idea that, you know, some whole grain toast with some baked beans on top um, is going to be the best thing for your gut flora. I mean, it's just so far down the list of things that are important for your gut flora. Here, um, here's an email from Molly. She's in uh, San Antonio, just down the road, San Antonio. Uh, what does your guest think about uh, seafood, um, shrimp, oysters, and uh, different kinds of fish in general? for our health. Thanks for the show. Okay, yeah, seafood. How do fish fin play in all of this? Fish. So healthy. Really? I mean, I know there are some, yeah, there, there are some debates about the mercury the and all that. From, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's our problem. You know, the, the fish is still the good food. If we did something polluting the oceans or if we're putting fish in a farm situation, which is not good um, because they're just too densely packed, they bang up against each other, they get injured, the um, farm fish. Who farmer. knows what they feed them, Joey? Right? We don't exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah, you don't know. Well, they, they give them. They give them antibiotics because they're oh. getting injured, banging, banging into each other all the time. So they'll just chuck antibiotics into the water. So you don't be wanting any farm, of those. Farm raised. Yeah. But if you can, yeah, if you can find some some quality fish from a quality source, if you live near the ocean and you know that it's been fished um, and the waters are as as good as you hope they can be, um, it's definitely better consume fish and not to consume fish because it's just such a fantastic source of one of the essential fats omega-3 um it's difficult to get omega-3 in the quantities that we need it for optimal health without consuming oily fish if you don't consume oily fish you know the vegetarian earlier then uh, consider taking a really good quality omega-3 supplement but of course oily fish is also great for calcium it's great for phosphorus it's great for vitamin d um, those bone and, and skeletal health um, nutrients as well. So it's really important. But obviously, some people are allergic to shellfish. And um, if, if you're allergic to anything, eggs or whatever, then clearly don't eat it. Even if I'm saying it's a good food, if it's not good for you, then don't right. don't eat it. That'd be a bit What a bit what, are, what are the oily fishes? I guess salmon are oily, right? Yeah, salmon, salmon tuna, mackerel. Um, a lot of people like mackerel. Smoked mackerel is, is quite popular. Um, bass is fairly oily. Bass is sort of looks white in colour, but it's a fairly oily fish. Um, the, the white fishes are the sort of the cod, haddock, white in coli. Um, they're lower in the fats. Um, they're more like your sort of skinless chicken breast. They're higher in protein, lower in fat. Um, I always prefer to go for the foods that are naturally fattier because I know that they're bringing me the fat-soluble nutrients. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it is there, Zoe, but here uh, the, the labeling is very specific on seafood. Uh, they tell you the source, whether it's uh, okay. yeah, farm-raised, whether it's wild-caught, and where uh, it's from, fresh or frozen, too. They're pretty cool. So you know exactly That's what it. you're getting. And what I do is I smell it, too. I said, yeah, I want to smell that. So I'm, they're always yeah. reaching over. And if you don't smell anything, it's good. That's the way I do it. Yeah. You know, that's the way I yeah. do it. You know. Good advice. <laughs> yeah. Good, yeah, good advice. <laughs> so um, there's many people out there, folks that I talk to, that, that talk about even the best-grade kind of fish oils and uh, cod liver oil are just not good. 
because most of them are rancid, I suspect, but I don't know about that. Do you have any opinions or ever see any research on fish oils, good, bad, and different? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I have seen, and I was disappointed by this. Um, I, I've seen quite a row that broke out in within the Western Price yeah. Foundation. Yeah, I saw um, that too. So, yeah. yeah, a couple couple of you know the most senior members. I mean, Sally Fallon Morell, the founder, um, and Kayla, Dr. Kayla Daniel, who was kind of tipped as the the one who might take over from Sally. I guess mm. one day. I mean, you know, hopefully Sally's going to go on a long time, but. Um, they were very close. They worked really well together. I know both of them. I've spoken at conferences with both of them. Um, and Sally is a very strong supporter of cod liver oil products, capsules, the actual oil, uh, right. etc. They call it the fermented, and, and they say it's fermented, right? Yeah, yeah. And Kayla had done some analysis on some of the products being recommended and had got some independent analysis on this and wasn't convinced. Um, and I didn't look at it to get my own view because it's not a product I take it wasn't sort of something that really interested me but I have regard for both of those people both women um, so I don't know the answer okay. I just know that there is a debate and if you're interested in it then go and look at Sally because she'll put a very good case for the product and go and look at Kayla because she puts a very good case for not consuming the product um, and then you would need to decide for yourself, is this something that you want to take or not take? Right. Um, but it's not one that so I So for you, do you to. feel like you can get all the threes you need from fish? Uh. I take omega-3 supplements. So I don't take cod liver oh. supplements in, in any form. I take an omega-3 um, capsule, which is delivering... Um, uh, I, I don't even know the. Where does the it come it from? What's the source of that? Is it a fish? Yeah, mine. Mine actually comes from um, Israel. Yes, it is. It is from a. It's not. It, it's not a vegan source. It's huh. from a, a um, an animal source. Um, but I spoke at a conference in Israel in 2019, and one of the people there um, uh, with a stall at the conference was somebody that I knew. I'd emailed before on various papers over a period of time. So when we were over in Israel, we went to see his factory and we went around the kibbutz where I used to work as a student. So you he kind of hosted us where we were there. You liked what um, they were doing, and, huh? and I liked the product, and he gave gave um, gave us some to take away. Um, and we bought some extra to take home. When that ran out, we got some locally, again, from a very good source. But we found, both my husband and I found, that we sometimes got a little bit of um, a taste of fish in our mouth sort of later in the morning, which wasn't the end of the world, but it just wasn't that pleasant. And that can be a feature of some um, fish oils, taking taking omega-3 oils. So we kind of went back to the product that we got in Israel, and we just get it shipped over. And we get it shipped over in sufficient quantities to make the the postage worthwhile, right. and would then you, just keep it cold would, and dark. Would you have any opinion or ideas or research that what is a sign for us if we're not getting enough omega threes? Do have you ever looked at that? Do we would we know? Yeah. So um, yeah, if if you I mean if you Google um, essential fatty acid deficiency. Um, virtually no one is deficient in omega-6, particularly if they're having the standard American diet because they've just put omega-6 into everything. Everything. Um, your, yeah, your, your main 
sources of omega-6 are the vegetable oils. So anyone who's consuming particularly sunflower oil, rapeseed oil, the highly polyunsaturated oils. Those are not good for you, right? They're not good for us. Way too much. They're so not good for you. Getting way too much of those. Right. Um, Oh, my God. You want to see the weather here. It's hailing. I can hear it. It's actually. I can hear it. You can hear it. Yeah. It is hammering golf balls (laughs) of ice. Golf balls and Zoe. Same. Golf. I know. So, um, so, we yeah, were, so if you Google, yeah. Google essential fatty acid deficiency, and at the first sort of basic level, you'll get um, dry skin, scaly skin. So you, you quite often have people have very rough skin on the backs of their arms and it okay. looks a little bit pimply mm-hmm. um, or on the backs of their calves. And that can sometimes be an early sign of essential fatty acid deficiency. Sometimes they might get dry eyes or their eyes get a bit tired or their eyes get a big sore. Um, and you can start to see quite quickly that these things, if left, are really not good because you can be doing eye damage or skin damage. Um, they're, they're called essential for a reason. You know, they're, they're pretty core to all of our external and internal health. And we need to consume them. So um, get them in our diet. Yeah. Uh, what is your guess from Lynn? What does your guess think about potatoes in general? Big picture. Big picture potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, they're a carbohydrate. They do contain some protein and they will contain some fat. As we've said earlier, if you go on the USDA, nutritiondata.com, that's one of my favorite websites. And you put in the potato, put in 100 grams, because then you've got everything as a percentage. And I don't know, 70% will probably be water. Of the 30% that's remaining, most will be carbohydrate. There'll be the, the rest will be mostly protein and then there will be a trace of fat. Um, they are a single whole food, so to that extent, they're good. Pretty they good. are a real food. They're real food. They come from the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they contain minerals more than they contain vitamins. Um, they're better than um, you know the, the processed food that you get in the supermarket. But just again, because they're a carbohydrate, they're never going to be as good as red meat or oily fish or eggs or dairy. Um, but if you don't want to be eating those all the time, potatoes the, are good. The potato, yeah, the potato is, is probably one of your best staple carbohydrates. Huh. Mm. Um, if you if you don't want to lose weight or you don't need to lose weight, and you're you know reasonably active, so you actually can use up some of the glucose because they're going to be very high in glucose. If you can use up some of that glucose that you're going to consume, then if you're going to have some carbohydrate with your meal the potato is as good as any yeah. um, particularly with the skin on a, a whole baked potato or if you're going to um, have it as as boiled potatoes and keep the skins on if you're going to have it as chips keep the skins on yeah. um, and don't fry it in vegetable oil because that really isn't healthy i, I guess it helps to have blo- globs of butter on it too right Again, if you're not trying to lose weight, yeah. yeah. But if you're trying to lose weight, then mixing fat and carbohydrate is a really bad idea. Oh, so fat doesn't make us fat, but fat and carbohydrates do. That's the deal, right? I've I've often had this debate in my head, actually. I I don't see, if you consume nothing but fat, um, so you wouldn't want to do this for a very long period of time because it's not healthy. But let's say for a couple of weeks, if you just did fat, you were prepared. If you just if you just consume fat, so you're allowed olive oil, coconut oil, butter has got some protein in, but it's you could you could go along with that. Do that for a couple of weeks. No matter how much you consumed, I would be really surprised if you gained weight. Yeah. Even if you're up to 5,000 calories a day, I don't see physiologically how you can gain weight. I agree. I agree. But the second you start mixing that fat with carbohydrate, 
you can gain weight. So really that's why easily. if you're doing even organic pasta and then you put olive oil and or butter and the whole thing, pretty easy yeah. to, to gain weight, right? A piece of bread, yeah. an Italian restaurant, and some butter, and boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the diet books I've written, one of the principles for the people trying to lose weight is don't mix your fats and carbohydrates. So either have a carbohydrate meal, which would be your baked potato with the skin on, with maybe a veggie curry or a veggie chili, mm -hmm. and that's your carb meal, or have a fat meal, which would be your meat, fish, eggs, and dairy with vegetable salads, but don't then go and have, you don't have the potato with your steak, you just don't need it. You just don't if need you've it. got steak, steak on the plate, and maybe some salad and vegetables if they're okay for you, that's your meal. You don't need potatoes, pasta, rice, anything else. I've been doing two or three actually almost tablespoons of beef tallow every day and okay, I, have, I have not, no carbs. I have you know I'm not eating carbs and I, my, my weight stays like just the same yeah. it just doesn't even move I mean not even a decimal point on a digital scale just doesn't move that's crazy yeah. where's, where's all that fat going body's using it up I'm just mm. burning it up huh that's what I'm using yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Feel, feel the brain feel the body yeah. yeah, and any excess that it doesn't need, it will yeah. excrete from the body. But it sounds like most of what you're using up, you're using up, so the body doesn't need to do that. Yeah, I've been doing resistance training and, and doing a lot of writing and being able to focus a lot. And I think it's more because of the fat than the, than the meat. But yeah. that's just my yeah. theory, and I don't know. The, the brain loves fat. This is really people, love. people think you need to exercise to use up energy. I mean, exercise is a great thing to do, but if you really want to use up energy, do a PhD or, or <laughs> research. Use use your brain. Use you know, it. my brain is using more fuel than my body most days, and I do 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 some exercise every day. But I spend hours reading, researching, I know working you things out. You're really into looking it. Looking at numbers. So if you did a PhD again, would you do the fat thing rather than the chocolate thing like you did with yours? Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm pleased with the PhD that I ended sure. up doing because yeah. I think it was an important contribution to the nutritional literature. I think it needed to be shown that when we introduced those fat guidelines, there was no evidence. There was no evidence at the time and there's no evidence now. And that's important because without that 30% cap on fat, you've got no rationale for the 55% carbohydrate. And that's what so the thing really came out important. that you did the PhD on, yeah. which is how, which started this entire low fat craze in the exactly. 80s, right? In the late 80s. Exactly. It was crazy. Yeah. Low fat. Exactly. And to this day, Zoe Harkham, as you know, I can go into Whole Foods or and they have a whole wall of yogurt, and 90, 95% of it is low fat. Yeah. To this day, yeah. that has yeah. stuck, right? Yeah, I know. When it's, I go to the US and I try to get some yogurt in the fridge in my room, in case I miss lunch and I just want yogurt for lunch, I spend, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes going up and down the yogurt, low fat, fat, low fat. I want to find one high fat, natural, right. live, with active cultures. That's all I'm looking for. Just give me one pot option. <laughs> Just I'm give me one. I'm trying to find that one <laughs> pot option, ideally with 10% fat. That's about as high as you'll ever get. Um, yep. it, it's it's hard work. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. Well, my dear, thank you for coming on the show. It's always fun talking to you. Thanks for your emails. Now, people can sign up and get the emails like I do, right? How do they do that? That would be lovely, yeah. They, um, they go to zoeharkham.com. And if you try to look on one that isn't on open view, then it will take you over somewhere 
um, saying, would you like to sign up for this? And then you can you can go through that and uh, and sign up. That's how it's done. And then how often do you send out uh, your emails? Uh, every couple of weeks? Every right? Monday. Yeah, yeah, every Monday. But then you see all the back issues as well. So I've been doing this for 11 years now. Wow. So there's over 500 articles on there. I get emails now from people saying, oh, did you see this study from 2016? It's a bit of a classic and people use it when they argue against me. And the chances are I've done it. I've picked <laughs> it for you. There's a little exec summary that you can read in one minute. And then there's the, the more of the unpack um, and I explain nutritional things to you as you go along. So I explain what trials are and what epidemiology is and um, what a case control study is. And I explain what the researchers try to do. And I explain what they say they found. And then I explain what they really did. That's find what's really fun when you go same. in there and say, this is what they say. And then you pick it apart piece by piece. Yeah. And you say, well, no, that's not really true. It's what it said. Yeah. Isn't it they must hate me. <laughs> isn't it amazing how they can go through all these huge studies and then the the results, they just kind of say whatever they want to say. It depends on who's, I guess, funding the study. Yeah, yeah. Well, there have been some classics. I think Malcolm Kendrick found one once, which was a study looking at mortality right. and weight. Right. And it looked at people who were underweight, people who were normal weight, people who were overweight, and people who were obese. Mm -hmm. And it looked at, I think it's a Swedish study, and it looked at mortality. And the mortality was highest in the people in the um sorry the longevity so the people people did best when they were in the overweight category and people did worst when they were in the underweight category and the normal weight category was okay but it wasn't the best and it wasn't worst mm. and obesity was also pretty bad but i think it wasn't as bad as the underweight category from memory and the title of this paper i can't remember the title but it would not have told you what i just told you it was something like being of normal weight is better than being obese. It's like, well, it might be, but your big finding was that actually, if you want to be anything, you want to be slightly overweight. And what you don't want to be is underweight. And it just wouldn't tell you that in this paper. And certainly the title didn't tell you that. They they obviously didn't like what they found and they were just doing whatever so, they could to... Oh, so you're actually better off being a little bit over than under? Mm. for longevity certainly as you age and if you're looking at, at mortality mm. the time when you're most likely to die is of course as you get older as you start getting into your 60s 70s and 80s that's when you're more likely to die and you want to be more overweight at that stage than you do underweight because your chance of getting something a little bit more serious is is higher um, i'll give you the example of my mother so my mother developed appendicitis a few years ago and she was probably carrying about i don't know 15 pounds at the time and she pretty much lost them in three weeks she was so severely ill um she kind of you know went straight to right. normal weight within a, a really short period of time if she'd have been normal weight to start with or worse still if she'd have been underweight she had nothing to lose so she would be in a severe frail underweight underfed nutritionally deprived situation very very quickly um, so you are definitely better off being slightly overweight as you get older. Yeah. So, but if you're eating more animal and fat, you're not going to get overweight. You'll, you're going to be more just right, aren't you? Yeah, probably. But you, you still see some people that are eating um, carnivore that, that are slightly overweight. You know, if, if you're um, not avoiding fat, if you're eating a decent amount, you can be towards the upper end of normal weight. Um, perhaps even slightly tip into um, the overweight category. Plus, there are not many older people doing carnivore right now. So 
even if you've got older people who know that they should be having liver and oily fish and roast meat on Sunday mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing, they're, they're still having some bread and they're still having some sure. potatoes. So they're, they're getting um, some of the good stuff with some of the stuff that other people are eating at well, the same time. As you know, carbs are real addiction. It is, we're addicted yeah. to carbs, right? It's like... Yeah. It's pretty strong. Indeed. All right, Miss yeah. uh, Harkham, thank you for being on the show, zoeharkham.com. And it's always a pleasure talking to you. Let us know if we can help with anything, and uh, thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Zoe Harkham, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. It's a great website. I would sign up for that because it won't hurt. You don't have to pay anything, and she'll send you once a month, uh, once a week it comes out in your email, and you get your... Uh, you get your little fix. Got a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Okay, we're going to take a break here. I just may have some, I don't know, a little snack. And then we're going to talk with uh, Mr. Londo. He's a good friend and fun guy. He's up in uh, Washington uh, State. Washington State. And uh, I don't know what we're going to talk about. We always have fun. He's just such a, an aware, um, healthy, kind of really into all these things that we love to talk about. And his name is Bear Lando. And so that's going to happen. And we're going to do that in, um, let's see, 45 minutes. We might sneak in uh, a lot of the show. Let's, let's, let's turn on Dr. Um, Cowan from yesterday. It was a great show. I don't think we have time to fit in the whole thing. But we have time for most of it. Let's go ahead and play that. And uh, you can listen to that while you're waiting for uh, noon to come and have some lunch. So, uh, I love you all very much. I better close out the show before we do it. I will see you in about 45 minutes. Thanks for your support. Anything that you can uh, uh, do to help support us would be fun. Pass on our links to people. Join us on BitChute. Um, uh, that kind of thing. And then, you know, if you like some of the products, uh, buy some of the products that we're promoting or one or something like that. So that's fun. So thanks for your support. We will see you in about 45 minutes, so hang in there. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.